Welcome to Breakthrough Brands. You are listening to The Conscious Business Show, bringing purpose, profit, and prosperity into your life and business with your host, Joe Dalton. Welcome to another show, The Conscious Business Podcast. What I'm really trying to do today is really trying to find out more about what's going on in the world, what's going on around COVID-19. Virus, yes. Pandemic, who knows? We're not sure. There's a lot of mixed messages going on out there at the moment. And we also know that people are talking. There's a divide going on. People that are for and people that are against. And it's getting wider and wider. And people are getting fearful. People are getting angry. And you can see what's happening around the world. Again, there are two sides, scientific and emotional. When we look at scientific, we want to look for proof, peer reviews. We're given the wrong information. It could end in someone's life. I was reading some information yesterday that said about the death rates in Ireland. So during April 2020, there were 2,689 deaths registered. And then during April last year, there was 2,599 deaths registered. And in April 2018, there were 2,940 deaths registered. So looking at those figures, there's not much difference in the last three years. But this year we have been on lockdown. We have been isolated. We know that the isolation may have saved some lives. But we also have to understand we may have got it wrong. And if we got it wrong, it's okay. But we learn from this. So today, I have a guest on who has been causing a lot of stir up in the press and online and right across the world, Professor Dolores Cahill. Let's jump back and say, what could we have done in the very beginning to get this right? Dolores, are you there? How are you? Lovely to talk to you today. You were causing a ruckus in the world. I felt that I needed to give you the opportunity to tell us your story and what should we have done from the very beginning? Yeah, well, very good. Well, maybe just briefly, I'll say my degree is in molecular biology and genetics and my PhD is in immunology. And I've spent over 20 years studying the immune system, but particularly antibodies that people develop to either diseases uh, or to develop auto autoimmune diseases. And I developed some technology and patented it in 1997 for protein chips to basically study the antibody response in diseases uh, and in infectious diseases. Okay. So, and also that brought me into the area that some of the tests that were being, um, was say, used in research diagnostic tests or antibodies in research diagnostic labs and pathology labs were not what they were supposed to be against, what the product was sold as. And I've been involved in addressing these issues for uh, most of my research career. So, and this relates a little bit to Corona and the testing is, you know, what are the tests about? So I suppose why I came out in early um, May, even though I'd been following this from January, February, 2020, was that a lot of the guidance that was happening and a lot of what the governments were doing uh, were not based on a true understanding of the immune system. And also just to say as well, I did work in a class two, class three biosafety lab and I ran a biosafety lab 
which is one of the issues related to this coronavirus for okay. a number of years when I worked in the Max Planck Institute in Berlin. What made you start shouting about this? So I suppose the thing that actually precipitated it was in early May, the Irish Medicines Organization came out and said, made a recommendation that they wanted to give the influenza vaccine to the total population of Ireland. That was one thing. And there are issues between uh, just in the last number of years, we'll say six or seven years between contamination of corona in other vaccines and uh, also potentially a corona vaccine. There are issues. But I think what's happening now is as well that the way the governments and a lot of the advisors are speaking publicly about the virus now is, in my opinion, incorrect. So these viruses, we have like 300,000, 1,000, 1,000 viruses in our body. Uh, we live and have evolved with bacteria and viruses. And these viruses that cause influenza-like symptoms circulate the globe within you know, a month or six weeks. So for example, in 2019 and 20, we had uh, influenza B virus that circulated the globe in, uh, in December 2019. Influenza A circulated between December, January, February of 2020. And now we have coronavirus. And I have given presentations from the CDC website that shows that coronavirus will say in America circulated between the end of February, March and the middle of April. There was a precipitous drop in the number of people that were going into the hospitals all across America with the uh, SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus. And so it looks like the coronavirus is behaving like all other viruses. It has circulated the globe. It's now understood that about 80% of people will not develop antibodies. And it looks like around uh, one in 400 people will be affected by the virus. That is including elderly people. And the majority of people will say in Ireland, the Department of Health have come out and said 90% of people that are severely affected by coronavirus are over 65. I know. Why, maybe just to say why I came out is that there are now well known and have been known for years of ways of boosting people's immune systems with vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc. And also there's a drug, hydroxychloroquine and zinc, that is known to be very safe and very effective. And you could actually reduce the death. So why I started to speak out was that if the symptoms, the prevention and the preventative treatments and actual treatments were made available, we could actually reduce the number of deaths when the lockdown ends. I, I totally understand and I agree that good nutrition and good health can wear, wear off any flu. You know, I haven't had a flu or a cold in years. My children never get them and neither does my wife. And we, and we base that on good nutrition and exercise. And but what I'm jumping back to here is with, with corona, you're given a great story. You're giving us the facts. Why are we then in this state still of be careful? This this thing is is going to kill us. Why 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 is that? Because Corona is real. I said in the air at the beginning of the show that it is real. Pandemic. I question it. Let us see. So with all this information that's out there and the proof that you're saying and the information from your from your life and from your work, why isn't the government, why aren't the doctors 
pushing this? Why are they still in a, a state of, let's call it control? So I suppose what we need to look back is to say uh, what information was there was, say, in January 2020 and February 2020. So it's not just me. So, for example, Professor Michael Levitt, who is a Nobel Prize laureate and uh, from Stanford University, he happened, uh, I think his wife was very, uh, was working um, with people in Wuhan and he started to analyze the data from Wuhan and from the cruise ship, the Diamond Princess. And at the end of January, he put out forecasts that the deaths, you know, that would happen in the, having done the analysis of the cruise ship, and he predicted that the deaths would drop precipitously in China, that the way the virus would act. And this was at the end of January 2020. And he was shown to be correct by the third week in February 2020. So he was in a way back then, pushing against the media narrative about the huge number of deaths. And he exactly predicted when the um, fall in deaths would happen in China, which was around the third week of March. And in the third week of March, they had very few new cases. So it meant that this was acting like in the CDC peaks. You know, the virus would come, you would have a huge number of incidences. And 80% of people, it now turns out now, will not really have any symptoms and won't even have an antibody response. Uh, and maybe between 7% and 15% or 20% will have an antibody response. So why I'm coming out now is to show that this virus then comes across the world. So it came across in Europe. It takes some time to travel. So that in Ireland, it came at the end of February, March, and that our peak dropped, we'll say the end of April. And you can see from the CDC data, it took a week or so later. Uh, their main peak was in March and it dropped, we'll say, six weeks later, the middle of April. So the, the but also now, because we know there are prevention, you know, with food, vitamins and zinc, we can reduce the number of people who die overall. And if people come out of the lockdown, we have prevention and treatment measures. And that's why I came out in early um, in May to make sure that people after the lockdown would be protected. And the reason why that's so it was well known. So why did the governments act incorrectly was, I think, a combination of the models that started to come out from London that were not based on actual data, which was a fundamental flaw. They were just modeling. And they also didn't take into account that there were treatments available and prevention strategies. And so they said in the United Kingdom, you could have up to half a million deaths. And that has shown to be entirely incorrect and over-exaggerated. And if they had not done this modeling data, but actually looked at the real data, that because of, you know, kind of big data analysis, Professor Michael Levitt, the Nobel Prize winner, was actually analyzing the real data. So the mistakes that have been made essentially in Europe and in America is that they were analyzing the incorrect data and they didn't tell people, we say, before the virus came to Europe and Ireland, what the symptoms were. And the medical community and the government didn't make the treatments that were available and known to be available, such as hydroxychloroquine and zinc. And maybe I should say as well, they often exaggerate uh, the issues with hydroxychloroquine. So the adverse events due to cardiac arrhythmia for hydroxychloroquine um, are about uh, nine in a hundred thousand people. But, so you're but, talking about one person in ten thousand. Well, just jumping back to something you said there about modelling, I think the model 
has swept right across. It's like um, falling dominoes. As the virus came across, they were looking at, okay, what is China doing? What is um, Singapore doing? What is Italy doing? Then, it's, you know, what is France doing? What is England doing? It seems to be as the virus sweeps, the countries are preparing because it's modelling of what other countries are doing. No, but that's incorrect. You see, the thing is, you had real data, okay? So the yeah, people yeah, like yeah. me in January, I was saying, Okay, they were talking about measuring antibody responses. So I looked up on the World Health Organization and it said between 7% and 15% of the world population had antibodies to coronaviruses, right? Which meant that the number of cases and the number of tests were probably not specific to this new mutation. So the number of cases were wrong. But, you know, governments and people should know you don't need to model data, which is just to predict it when you have actual data. And what was very clear in the beginning in January 2020 was that across China and Taiwan and South Korea, the virus had obviously circulated within a few weeks as it was moving along. Uh, But those death rates were entirely different. So what the epidemiologists should have done is say, okay, it seems, and none of the countries had closed down, uh, that the death rate associated with it was similar to a normal influenza-causing virus but that Wuhan was an exception. And the media and the government started to... uh, So in Beijing and in the other parts of China, they didn't have the similar deaths. And the same in Japan, as is the case, or in Taiwan, South Korea, all across the world. So it's almost like the media and the certain governments and the World Health Organization have decided against the evidence in January and February to escalate this virus to something that was, you know, much more deadly than it actually is. And they should have known because the real data was there. And I suppose the other thing is they sh- there were prevention and treatments available, right? And that they did not uh, communicate to their populations that you can actually prevent getting sick, particularly to the vulnerable and the elderly. And they should have made treatments like hydroxychloroquine and zinc available. So, for example, in Italy, 65,000 people in 2020, we're taking hydroxychloroquine for autoimmune diseases. And the Italian Society of Rheumatology looked to see of those 65,000, how many died, and not one of them died, and 20 ended up in hospital. So that was already known because hydroxychloroquine had worked uh, in other years, and previously for SARS-CoV-1, that that was an effective treatment, and the adverse event rate was about one in 10,000. Whereas people in New York that ended up on a ventilator, 9,000 out of 10,000 people would die. You know, 90% of people were not coming off the ventilator versus one in 10,000 as a potential uh, adverse event. So that this was all known. So the reason why people like me, there are lots of doctors. So the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons are actually taking a legal case against the FDA in America on the 6th of June for the guidance that they would not, or they prevented the use of hydroxychloroquine and zinc as an off-label use during a pandemic. And so there's lots of Nobel Prize winners and scientists and doctors, thousands of them worldwide, and associations now taking, you know, the regulators and the governments to court because they have entirely mishandled it. And I think what's going on in Ireland now where they are perpetuating it, it looks like the virus is gone. But if people have concerns, they should be told about prevention. They should be given the proper prevention and treatment. And then the country and the world can come out of the lockdown and there is no need for other measures 
like social distancing or masks because the virus is gone. And we also have prevention and treatments. You know, there's a list of questions that I asked people over the last couple of weeks. You know, what would you say to the government or whoever in authority would be able to give the information? And here's some of the questions. When did when did C19 arrive in Ireland? Was it December, January or February? How many would have been affected by the virus before we closed the country? What was the estimated spread of the virus before lockdown? How many cases since April? How many cases have recovered? How many have died? What age demographic are the people that have passed away? How many had an underlying medical condition already? How many were healthy? What are the percentage of the demographic of the population? And looking at the data, comparing to the flu, what degree of seriousness is C19? I asked 50 people on social media, and these were the questions that they came up with, that they'd love to know the answers. So I suppose uh, the thing is, these viruses circulate the globe, uh, if you look at all the viruses, within about six weeks. So it's very clear there was a publication in China on the 2nd of January from uh, about 48 patients. It was in December. So because each region has the virus about two months and it takes maybe one or two weeks to circulate from Asia to Europe to America, from that kind of, uh, it was obviously in uh, Wuhan, the end, we say December, January, February, and then it spread across Asia. So that means it would have been in Ireland about the end of January, February, March and April, we'll say. So probably the peak is from February to the middle of April. So the first testing, of course, was just at the end of February, February the 29th. But of course, that's just the the time that they do the test. So I would say that the viruses had already been here by February, and they would have naturally probably cleared Ireland by the middle of April. And the lockdown, the full lockdown was in March 27th. And so I suppose what's important is there has been no increase. So the deaths in uh, March and April and May are similar, very similar to every other year. And that is pretty much the same all around the world. So that's where we call into question that this virus, we should not have this kind of fear and that it's our immune system that actually protects us from this virus. Do you know, we know that coming out of China that the virus was there before Christmas and with the the massive travel around the world around Christmas time, especially with the Irish, like people right or wrongly believe that it was probably here before February, that it could have been earlier. Some, some yeah, people... so what I'm saying is it probably, depending on people traveling, it, it could have come, someone could have come a plane in January. But when you say, is it here, it probably means, so I had uh, the, co- the coronavirus symptoms between the middle of January and the first week in February. What I'm trying so, to but, get at, Dolores, yeah. is so that's, that... But the thing is, you know, these viruses circulate the globe. So that's what we call flu season, right? Yes. So it turns yeah. out what's very important for people to know is that if there were the kind of hype that the Imperial College model was saying in the World Health Organization, we would have much more deaths. So, for example, the Black Death will say, you know, back in the Middle Ages that 40% of the population of Europe died, okay? So what the governments and the World Health Organization, they're using the kind of terminology for when you have huge excess deaths for this virus. But if you had huge excess deaths, the people that would have died, so if the virus was here January, February, March, right? We would have had an increase in the number of deaths in January, February, March, 2020. And we simply did not have. So there was no lockdown, and we didn't have excess deaths. 
And I think that's why people like me are calling on the governments to say, you know what, they, they exaggerated it. It may have been a mistake back then. They should really come out and say, we were worried. We it was exaggerated by a series of errors. We made a mistake, uh, but now we will launch a public inquiry themselves into why the mistake was made and we will learn from it. But instead, they are coming out today uh, insisting that making wearing masks mandatory in public transport when there's actually no need, the virus has gone. And maybe why what people like me can relate to real world experience is we call it the flu season, right? Every year, these influenza causing viruses circulate. And people know that when the summer comes, that you don't get the symptoms of the flu, partly because you have sunlight from vitamin D and probably your food is more nutritious in the summertime. And also the it's been known that viruses don't make people as sick in the summertime for nutrition and for vitamin D reasons. So the government are now bringing in policies around masks that they have no rationale or basis for, and they're making the error that they made in the months up to now, they're compounding it by something that has no basis in need, and it is disproportionate and it's unnecessary. Okay. Are we saying that C19 is stronger than the flu, more people can catch it than the flu. Are we saying that? Yes no, so no? no, not at all. So when you say virus circulate the world, right? So yeah. if you've seen my uh, CDC, that means that everybody, you know, the, it's called the flu season. Yeah, and I, that in I, general, I, when people are traveling and whatever, everybody is exposed to the flu virus, right? But what it turns out now is that about 80% of people don't even mount an immune response, okay? Because they don't have the receptors for the virus, There's a num num or they were at previous immunity. Um, and generally, you're talking about one in 500 people might severely have the symptoms. Uh, and so 499 people will be completely fine or just have flu-like symptoms. And I suppose what we should say as well is that that kind of having the flu, it actually boosts your immune system so that you build up a better immune response for the next time you have the flu. And we live with viruses all around us and it's not something to worry about. So the marker of how whether the panic or fear is justified is, if you had more deaths, then we'll say deaths in the last five years. And it turns out the number, the total number of deaths in Ireland are actually the same as the last five years. So therefore, this virus was not as deadly as the governments and the medical organizations were making out to be. And if it's the similar deaths to every other flu season, we don't need all these excessive measures. But I think what's positive in what I'm saying for coronavirus, because of the research into it now, people know that if you take vitamins D, C and zinc, you can reduce your, if you're elderly or vulnerable, your chances of being sick and there are now treatments like hydroxychloroquine and zinc. So what we want to get the message out is that you can reduce the deaths potentially this year and in other years by taking these preventative treatments. But and then once you have a prevention and a treatment, you don't need the lockdown. You are listening to The Conscious Business Show with Joe Dalton. But if the data is there and analyze the data over the last couple of months and make a decision, because the data doesn't lie. So if the data doesn't lie, why are the governments and the authorities and the medical authorities still running on 
this old, let's call it, narrative. Yeah, and I suppose the actual data shows that there were more deaths in 2017-2018 in Ireland from the flu, around the flu time, and the same in America in the CDC data. So there's actually less deaths in 2020, we'll say in uh, March, April, May, than there was, uh, you know, in other years. So it's, it's just in the ballpark of other years, right? So there is no deaths, no excess, real excess deaths. I think the numbers are 200, but in total, uh, but because the population is slightly more now than the last few years, it's very similar deaths. So, and I think why the governments are insisting on taking measures as if this was much more deadly is that if they don't do that, they will have to say in June, you know, on one day, everyone can go back to work. You don't need masks and social distancing. And of course, politically and for the medical community, the next question will be, why did we have the lockdown then? Because in countries that didn't lock down or in the months when we didn't lock down, there was no deaths, excess deaths. And we see that all over the world. So therefore, was this whole thing a mistake? If and you... are they afraid to say, we're sorry? And what, you know, people like me for the last two months nearly now have been saying that, you know, it was OK that they made a mistake, perhaps in March, April, because of the pressure from social media and the media. But they need to recognize that that was an error. And everyone would say that we understand politicians because, you know, in the Imperial said half a million people uh, would die in excess in the United Kingdom. And it turns out not to be the case. It was entirely wrong. The same group had made the same predictions for avian flu, you know, for BSE, which were entirely incorrect. So out of about six predictions that that institution has made, They've all been entirely wrong by like 99% wrong and total exaggeration. But it's so okay to get it wrong. Dolores, you know, Dolores, it's okay to get it wrong once you can raise your hand and go, look, we screwed up, we apologise, and people would be very forgiving. There's, exactly. nothing worse than, there's nothing worse than in any business, in any walk of life, if you screw up with something and then you try and dig a bigger hole to try and repair it. Because exactly. the bigger the hole the bigger the issue and the more the more that that is exposed. So I think that's what I think the chief like Professor Luke O'Neill, you know, I'd be very happy to engage him in a conversation because he's done an interview on RTE, which I haven't heard, but I have heard the one on Newstalk. And he's just compounding it, you know, as if there is no treatment, there's no hydroxychloroquine, there's no preventative. And as if these viruses don't circulate the world and if we don't actually have an immune system. And also it's well recognized now that about 80% of people will not have an immune response as such. So to develop population immunity or herd immunity, there's a lot of very prestigious uh, research, which is what I was saying. You're talking about between 7% and 15% to 20%. And also, there is no need to be testing for these cases because the virus has come and gone. And if you're the 80% that don't develop an antibody, you will never have one. It doesn't mean you won't get sick. And if you're the people that have developed an antibody, the virus has circulated and it should be now. So just to answer your question, I think what they're doing is compounding an error that could have been forgiven 
into a huge error that will impact uh, small businesses, you know? And Look, it's more than small businesses because one of the things that, that is coming out of this as well, there's the people that are who are suffering from anxiety, depression, uh, people that are being abused at home, locked away with their captors, you know, then it's it's all the, all the depression. There is, you know, people that are, you know, who cancer, people who need operations, all who are stressed out. Like the, the implication of all this, the implication for all this is a lot, money, lot bigger. Know? If you're in a job like a waitress or a taxi driver or some job that you have no income, that you will be much poorer. And the research has shown that those effects of poverty can last for years, if not a decade. And then they will have less money for food so that they'll actually be, um, you know, they'll have less money for food, so they will have poorer nutrition and that their health will deteriorate as a consequence. So I think why it's important for people like me to encourage the, you know, Professor Luke O'Neill and the government and the, the Irish Medicines Organization is to come out now and say that actually, you know, worldwide, this was the fear associated with it and the deaths were incorrectly calculated and that they should roll back now and admit the mistake and, you know, move on and give people, you know, uh, prevention and treatments now for the vulnerable and the whole country should go back to work. There's no need for masks, no need for social distancing. And we should say uh, for people to go back to work to get money so they will be healthier and that the economy is open and the tourist industry is open. Europe sees Ireland as uh, a, a no-go area or could see Ireland as a no-go area for tourism. I know someone who got uh, a test and they sent it off privately and they got the test back to show it was negative in 24 hours. Uh, yeah, companies. but 80%. So it's coming out now. So when I looked into it in early 2020, uh, the, it showed that between 7% and 15% of people had antibodies anyway against coronavirus, right? But that means about it's well recognized now with mathematicians and data analysts that 80% of people will not be positive on the test, even though they will not they will not have symptoms if, they, if they're infected by the coronavirus. So the testing is actually not necessary. It's not, I mean, it's not necessary because 80% of people will not test positive for coronavirus, but they won't be sick. They won't have any symptoms. This virus has circulated. So a lot of these questions are based on a misunderstanding. The virus has probably circulated February, March, April. Most people have been exposed to it. 80% of people, even though they've been exposed to it, will not have antibodies. The death rate is the same as other flu years. So therefore, we don't need all these measures of locking down the of the country. So uh, there's educated people out there that I spoke to and he says, look, I believe all this. I, or, I'm willing to believe this. Um, is there any peer review on this? Oh, well, I mean, so the thing is, for example, there are, you know, so the use of vitamins have been the subject of Nobel Prizes 30 or 40 years ago. And there has been extensive papers and clinical trials, we'll say, on the importance and significance of vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and hydroxychloroquine. So, for example, hydroxychloroquine was approved by the FDA in 1955, and it was on the list of the world essential medicines for its effectiveness for autoimmune disease, and it has been used for malaria. So, in a way, a lot of what I'm saying has gone beyond peer review because they were clinical trials over 60 years. There are Nobel Prizes. 
and like hydroxychloroquine is not only licensed in 1955 and been used ever since for malaria, for arthritis and lupus, and it's an essential medicine of the world by the World Health Organization, which means it can never run out, it's so essential. And the adverse events associated with it are nine in 100,000 patients for the heart arrhythmia. So it means, you know, 999,997 uh, or 99 are safe, right? So what when people are talking about peer review, that's for things that have been established, you know, in the last few years. But we're talking about drugs that have been around for 60 years and Nobel Prizes have been obtained, you know, 40 years ago and they're on essential medicine. So these are well established. And that's why I've been coming out saying the governments and their advisors should be using treatments that are the safest and unessential medicines. And vitamin D is known, like, for example, Scotland has come out as a country based on the analysis and said, recommended that every single person in Scotland, including children, should take vitamin D to, move, to boost their immune system, to protect them from the virus. But you should okay. take even vitamin D anyway, because, you know, we are deficient in vitamin D and it should be taken for multiple yeah. other reasons as well. No, that's fine. But I'm just saying that, you know what I mean? It's not just peer review, right? So why you would be turning the spotlight on the World Health Organization and on the governments and the chief science advisor in Ireland is that these are, you know, established for decades, right? So that they should know that vitamin D and hydroxychloroquine and zinc, because the hydroxychloroquine and zinc were shown in SARS-CoV-1, you know, back 17 years ago to be effective. And also they were used in China in January 2020 and shown to be effective. So what the issue is, is that the Irish government, when we were no, new in January, February, that what they should have been doing is telling people there are well-recognized Nobel Prize winning, you know, vitamin D and C, and there are essential medicines that are very safe, hydroxychloroquine and zinc, that have been shown, and they should have communicated the symptoms, the preventative measures and the prevention, you know, the Zelenko protocol, which was already known in February, March, uh, one tablet of hydroxychloroquine every three weeks plus zinc, and then the treatment, because hydroxychloroquine works within three hours, and it has a half-life of 21 days. So that what people like me are saying is, we could have reduced the, you know, say if there are, the, the Department of Health are saying 1,700 people or so on the 24th of June 2020 died because of uh, COVID-19. But it, hydroxychloroquine and zinc is so effective and it has maybe an adverse event rate of 1 in 10,000 that a lot of those people could not have died if they had been given the prevention and the treatment. But also it means if you have a prevention and treatment, and you know the symptoms. You don't need all the social distancing and the masks. Tell me this about masks, because reading online, you know, that masks are needed or masks aren't needed. And it can, by wearing a mask, can affect your immune system. Now, I understand that if you're wearing a mask 24 seven. But if you're only wearing it on a bus for 20 minutes or an hour, that's not really going to affect your immune system. So say, for example, if we look at, so in a way you're starting at the end, right? So say yeah. the CDC has come out and said that four people in a thousand will potentially be badly affected with coronavirus, okay? Yes. Four people in 1,000. But so that the 996 people, so 800 of them will not actually 
their immune, you know, will actually have no symptoms and not be affected by the virus. And then, so in total, then 996 people, if they eat well and uh, boost their immune system, will not be affected by the virus, even if they get it. But and if there is a virus out there that causes very little death, so you're talking about in the range of the risk of traveling to work, okay, every year, the death, the extra death. This is like the government saying nobody can drive a car in Ireland anymore because there is a risk of one in 5,000 of dying in an accident, for example. And so what people do, what the government are doing is they are saying the government is going to decide what risk people will take. But actually, if you do what I'm saying with prevention and treatment, there will actually be much less death, probably one death in 5,000 or, or less. And there are people that might have cancer and would die, you know, a few days earlier because of the coronavirus, but it can be prevented. That then there is no need for the government to be involved in this issue, that it's the risk is, you know, manageable and people can prevent any issues with this virus so that we don't need <clears throat> the government to be involved in this issue and life should go back to the real normal. Uh, yes, I don't buy into the new normal. <laughs> I think we just want to get back to what normal is. Because, you know, no, but I suppose the main message, Joe, that's hard to get out is that the this virus is similar to every other year, right? So we didn't have to lock down the country for influenza, even though we know there are some deaths. So this year is the same as other years. And it doesn't matter whether it's countries. And actually, there were probably more in 2017-18. Why do you think the organisations that we look up to and respect are flinging rocks at you and running away from, from you? Well, I think the thing is, um, what they're not doing, and I've asked them to do, is to debate me on the issues, right? So the issues are, does vitamin D work or not, right? Does vitamin C work or not? Does zinc work or not? Does hydroxychloroquine work or not? Does hydroxychloroquine and zinc work or not? And of course, I can say, well, there are Nobel Prizes. There are, you know, hundreds of clinical trials. There are meta-analysis, you know, for the use of vitamin D and how good it is for health in general, like you were saying. And hydroxychloroquine in this pandemic has been shown to be safe and effective. And, you know, very eminent people who are surgeons and doctors have said that these combinations can save, you know, practically uh, all people, right? Like the Italian study out of 65,000 people taking it for arthritis and lupus, not one death. So it doesn't really matter that they take pot shots at me. What they should be doing is, uh, how come 65,000 people taking hydroxychloroquine in the middle of the pandemic in Italy in 2020, not one death? And so the thing is, those kind of figures are not going to go away. And so it doesn't matter what they say about me as such, that people will be saying, wait a minute, if you took hydroxychloroquine and zinc, we would have no deaths. This was known for 17 years, and people were coming out already in China in January 2020 to say hydroxychloroquine was working. So the question is not about me. The question to them is, why were you not recommending vitamin D in January, February? Why were you not having hydroxychloroquine and zinc ready and given the preventative dose of one tablet every three weeks? And we would have less deaths of all vulnerable and elderly people. And those questions are not going to go away. 
And because the government and the advisors and the medical community are not addressing, are not coming out with the answers, that means that we will have to launch a public inquiry because they're actually undermining the medical establishment in Ireland and how the government engages with science advisors and the relationship between Ireland looking after its own people and whether it's looking to international organizations without sufficient scrutiny of what they are saying. You know, and those questions will not go away. And the reason why we have to raise it now is that if they can make a monumental mistake that's so clear in this case, they could have prevented it. There were a lot of deaths in the care homes that could have been prevented. That we have to come out now and and tell them, come out, you know, so I'm challenging Professor Luke O'Neill or whatever, to come out and prove that hydroxychloroquine and zinc would not work for coronavirus. Or if he's going to come out and talk about vitamin D, why is Scotland recommending it? Vitamin D for everyone. So that's the question is more that Luke O'Neill has to be asked and the government and the Department of Health and the Taoiseach. Why did you not make the prevention and treatments available to people when they were known months in advance that they would help? And one of the things that which is coming up for me at the moment is the data is there if and every day we get new data and we have three four months of data at the moment and if the data is showing what you're saying it to be why are the questions not being addressed by the authorities and why are they not being asked? And why, did, why, why is this not a topic of conversation? Why isn't there a reporter there asking these questions? Why is there no press release on this? If the looking at the data, and it will be the data that gives the truth. So I think that is a good question. The media, including RTE and the Irish Times, and the global, you know, the EU and the World Health Organization and the medical organization. What they are, in a way, is trying to distract from the data that's showing that it's similar, you know, to other years. But if they'd actually done prevention and treatment, it would actually be less than other years. We should learn from these, you know, research and how it was handled and do it differently in the future. And I think why it's not been asked now is that if, you know, if they said the deaths were more than other years, that would not be true. So if the answer was the deaths are actually similar, very similar to other years, that means that the lockdown was unnecessary. And it also means it should be stopped now and they shouldn't be pushing masks and social distancing. And also people would be saying to the journalists and the media, why didn't you ask that question in February and March, April, May, June? So I think what this is kind of revealing is that the Irish people have been let down by the governments, the civil service, the science advisors, the you know RTE, the media, and the newspapers, and the you know a related investigative journalists, and because they haven't been doing their job for six months, everybody is now trying to double down on this basis that if this virus is really so lethal and that viruses somehow hang around in the summer, flu viruses, which they don't, and that masks, which cause more harm than good, are a solution. And social distancing is actually the wrong thing because people boost their immune system by interacting with each other. 
So it's entirely wrong what's going on. And I think they are just literally afraid, I would say, to for someone to honestly stand up and say, we made a mistake. We could have actually prevented some deaths in care homes. And there was no necessity ever to lock down the country for one day. And that Ireland, because we were at the edge of Europe and we had experienced nearly for seven or eight weeks, it was an absolutely monumental mistake. And they, you know, I'm still encouraging them to come out over time and say we have reassessed the data, you know. But of course, if they start insisting on wearing masks and social distancing and fining people, then, I mean, people will have to not wear masks because it causes more harm than good and not. So what they're doing is making government policy on zero premise. And they're trying to bully people to doing things there's no scientific or medical basis for by the sheer force of a government trying to, you know, knuckle down on a mistake that it made back in February. It's, I think that going back to the very beginning, there's a divide. And, you know, the, the, there's people out there who are questioning and accepting. And then there's people out there who are believing in the system. If it was so lethal, we would have seen some excess deaths then. We didn't. And that's the question the government have to be asked is there were no excessive deaths. They're basing all of these arrangements on that it's going to cause more death. It hasn't. And that's it's not about belief. It's not about fear. It's about in the real world. Did what they say come true? And that before the lockdown, it was not true and the virus was circulating then. So it's actually not about what people think or what they say. It's actually, let's look at the real data. The data is there now for months. What they're saying is not based on the actual data. So eventually the truth will come out, but they're going to make it worse for themselves if they don't actually start to roll back now and say a mistake, a genuine mistake was made and learn from it. The lay person who is listening to this in Ireland and around the world who will try and take on some of the information that you've given and some of the data and they might get overwhelmed with it. What would be the one piece of advice I'd like to share in one sentence? I think for people to ask more questions if, you know, media or governments are coming out to encourage their journalists or to write and phone call their politicians and doctors and organisations to say, can you just tell us what data you're um, basing these policies on? Because it looks like they're incorrect. There you have it, folks. That was Professor Dolores Cahill. The data. I always say, look at the data and ask questions. Question, questions, questions. And we do need to find the answers. Think about it. It's your decision. For or against. Our health and our safety is so important. And we know that. But it's your call, your decision, which road you want to be on. As someone said to me the other day, the red pill or the blue pill. Until next week on the Conscious Business Podcast, I'd like to thank you very much for tuning in. And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders. And that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership and creative culture. 
You want to reach out to me? It's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself. <laughs>